fucking wings. Hunt the best wings down in Georgia. <laughs> have you have you been on a on a podcast before, Joel? Never. So my popping the podcast cherry right now. Popping my ears. <laughs> Pop my ears for the next fifty minutes or whatever it's gonna be. You're gonna get sick of me after this, that's for sure. Um, it's good to see you, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming out. I know I asked you to do this on a whim. We we're just having such great conversations, and I thought uh, I thought the I don't know. I thought I thought it'd be cool. I thought it'd be cool to bring you out, and I uh, it'd be cool to to sort of dive into those uh, those topics. I mean, um, it's sounding a lot more serious than it is, but it's not. I just want to talk to you. <laughs> well, you said. Um... I don't know what how it came out, but something along the lines of at one point you were just like, "Wow, I didn't know this about you. You should be in my podcast, so we can find out all these things about you." Basically, that's basically <laughs> what you said, or how I interpret what you said. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, um, well, we we manifested it, and now we're here. So there you go. Um, so I guess uh, I don't really. You know what's crazy is I don't actually. I mean, we uncover. I un- we uncover what people are about during the podcast, but I guess why don't you just give a give a little intro? Just tell people tell people what's up. Who who are you? Who am I? Yeah, so I'm Joel. A I am uh, a growing cinematographer in Toronto. Mm. Um, when I say growing, I mean that's like something I was starting to pursue a lot more in the past year. Yeah, but I've been working in the film industry as a freelancer since 2018 right after I graduated. Um, and that was in itself as a story because that was kind of spontaneous. But uh, yeah, ever since then, kind of like... Graduating you know, or going getting into the film industry? Uh, I graduated in 2018. Yeah, and but then, spontan- spontaneous jumping into the film industry? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, well, I guess we'll get into it. So uh, <laughs> last year of school, um, actually before last year of school, I was working in a restaurant. Like either retail or restaurant, that's what everyone does. But I was the, the restaurant guy and I was working as a bartender. And uh, last year of school, I quit because I couldn't do it. Uh, it was just too much to handle because we had classes. We had to do something like 300 intern hours and then we had to make films. And then a bartender's hours are like insane too, right? Like you're yeah. working all all night practically on weekends and stuff too. Right? It wasn't all night. I mean like... It was less than film, I could tell you that. Oh. <laughs> it was like an eight-hour day, but uh, yeah. there you go. It was just like too much for me to handle. Yeah. Uh, so I I stopped bartending. Uh, I think the main thing, the main reason I stopped bartending is because of the intern hours I had to pull. So that okay. was basically like a full-time job or a part-time job in itself. Yeah, um, and you had to do that during the week. I yeah. yeah. So I think our last year, it's something like we only have three classes or something like that. But then we also do film productions, and basically the rest of the time is meant for intern hours. Yeah. Um, so then fast forward, come I think literally the last month of of school, uh, I basically ran out of my savings, and because uh, I wasn't working. Yeah. Um, and then at the same time, coming at the end of school, I'm thinking. What am I going to do now? <laughs> like, do I go back to bartending? I didn't really understand yeah. uh, how to transition out of school. And, um, yeah, I was just, like, super blessed. God blessed me. Uh, it was I was going to my church at the time, which is Cash Fire, and they, they're a really big venue, and they rent out the venue for concerts or whatever, like external third-party people. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess the media director there 
reached out to me and said, these people are renting and they're looking for camera offs. Um, and they, I think he said it was something like $500 a day for three days. And this was my first experience into like freelancing what this, what, whatever this was. And so I was like, like, okay, yeah. I, I was like this. sick. I mean, I need the money really bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, so I did it. And then after that, <laughs> with no money, no contacts, I was like, I'm just going to try freelancing to see what that's like. Yeah. And um, 2018, I hustled really hard. I basically took anything I could get just to kind of get my name out there. And uh, like I was doing stuff for like free even. I mean, it's just, it just doesn't really matter. Yeah, kind well, of get- anything, yeah, no, anything you can do. And well, I mean, that's that's also how... I mean, that's how a lot of people start, right? Like, it's not uh, anything to be ashamed of. I think, I think a lot of people, um, you know, a lot of people are doing things for free or trying to get their names out there. And, and um, I mean, it's a whole conversation now, obviously, in the industry where, uh, you know, being used and abused, and it's uh, to a certain point then where you know you do so much free work that you know people start to take advantage of that. And I think that's when uh, that's when we've reached reached a problem. But, but so. So you've graduated, you've decided to leave um, bartending, you've decided to start working freelance in film, you do this one job, how does the job go? Like, what is that experience mm. like? And, and did you even own a camera? Like, did they have their own they have their own equipment or did you have to, like, what did you, what did you shoot with? Yeah, so the event was, um, how do I say it? Kind of like a... It was like an event where they had a bunch of speakers kind of thing. Yeah. So it was a mix. Uh, so the church I go to has like a, it's like a, a venue, has like a stage, has like their own camera, sound system, lighting. It's like a concert area. Yeah. Essentially. So we were just operating with the um, cameras at the church. Head. I think maybe the third party brought some other cameras and a couple of their own camera operators. Yeah. Um, just to help fill in some of the gaps. Because I think at that point, like, our church was upgrading some of our media gear. But, um, yeah, so I was basically operating tripod cameras. um, And it was kind of like one of those things where I'm just, like, following a speaker on a close-up kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then I would transition out. Sometimes I was on a a jib, uh, operating the jib, because I knew how to operate the jib at the time. Um, And then there was multiple uh, camera ops, so we'd, like, switch in and out and stuff like that. Yeah. And it was, it was cool. I mean, it was, I think if anything, it was the realization like, wow, okay, this is actually something that I could do. I could actually make money in film. Yeah. Like before this, it was <laughs> school. It was just kind of like just making films. I didn't realize it was yeah. actually, I think at that point it was actually the realization that, okay, this is actually a career choice or a yeah. career option. I mean. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what we have in common is because I, I also went to film school and did the four years, did the whole thing, the classes, the productions in it all. Um, but once that was over, there was an understanding. Like, it's always so interesting to see what people are doing, like, years after. You know what I mean? And, like, years after graduating and um, uh, some people, like, I, I think the first, like, three years is really critical because you see the uh, the first year and everybody getting out and everybody's like, okay, let's make stuff, let's go, let's do it, let's do the thing. And then, like, two years goes by and it's like maybe about half of those people are doing that. Three years go by, maybe, like, a quarter of those people are doing that. And then once you get past three years, 
it's anyone's game. It's up in the air, you know. And and did you find the same, or was that uh, was there that understanding, that common understanding amongst your peers and uh, you know colleagues as well that like everybody was getting into freelance, or was there a sort of like different paths for everybody? So I'll be honest, uh, I don't know because I didn't really keep up with much that many people okay. um, within my school. Only if like a small handful, which like good friends of mine who I continue to yeah you know, keep in contact with, but from my own perception, I could be wrong, but I feel like, like after school, half of the people didn't even pursue film. Um, maybe some kind of after that, maybe, maybe it was one of those things where they just took a break yeah. and they kind of like did their own thing and tried to find their own place. Uh, but yeah, I felt like not many people really pursued film after that. Um, and I would say, I mean, I could be completely wrong. I would actually love to have one of those, um, like, college reunions in, like, 10 years just to see what, like, yeah. where people actually went. Not in a judgmental way, but in, like, a curious way. It's like, this is how I knew you, you know, 10 years ago and, yeah. like, how your life transformed from then. Did you actually go and film? Did you do something completely different? Did you become yeah. a doctor or something like that? I would yeah. love to just to see, like... <laughs> that would be cool. So right? I actually, like, went to medical school after film or, or something like that. You well, know what I mean? Well, actually, I was just talking to a friend of mine I came in touch with, and he was saying that one of our colleagues in college is now, uh, I think, going to be a surgeon. So it's like one of those oh. things where it's actually happening. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. So and it, I wonder, I wonder what sort of uh, it's just a thought. I, I but I, I wonder, I wonder what sort of like what sort of a thought, what like what the thought process is with people that are going into something like film, a creative medium in which you know uh, you're managing people and 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 that sort of world. And then going into something completely different. Like, I wonder if it's just like a pipe dream or if it's like a, uh, like a pipe dream to like, you know, become a filmmaker and, and pursue that. Or if it's just genuinely just people just wanting to like do it for fun, you know? Um, and I always thought, you know, at least the way that I was, uh, not that I was raised, but you know, coming out of high school, going to universities, like, Oh, what you're choosing in university is like, what you're going to do in your life. Like you have to think about what you want to do in your life and whatever you choose. And if you go to post-secondary, that's what you're going to be doing. I never thought of doing it because it was fun. You know, well, okay. I, I thought of doing it because obviously I love, for me at least, I loved it. But like for you, when you were deciding to go to, where was it? You went to Humber, right? Yeah. So going into Humber and, and pursuing that, were you always pursuing that with the idea that you were going to pursue film, pursue film or did you not think of that ahead of time? That's another story. <laughs> okay, great. So uh, I'll summarize it and then I'll go into it. So yeah. uh, I went to film, but before that I did marketing. And then before that uh, I was just kind of exploring what I wanted to do. Marketing um, at another school. Yeah, so I actually okay. have a, a diploma. Yeah, a diploma in, in marketing. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so film wasn't really on my mind until shortly before, like maybe like a year before I even applied. Um, but there's a lot of backstory into that. So there was kind of like, there was a heart for film, but I didn't really understand how it took place, like how it would kind of fit into my life. So there was, there was two things that really kind of influenced me into film before I was even going to college or like when I was like a teenager. And uh, no, actually not... One of them was when I was a teenager. Um, so the first thing that kind of 
I guess, planted the seed it would be, uh, so the church I go to, this is when I was maybe like 13 or 16, something like that. There was these, uh, like a ministry team, um, like a, a let's see if I can think of better, like a, what do we say it? You know, those like, I can't remember the, what they're called, but those like people who go to like different countries kind of thing. Um, oh yeah. What are they called? There's like something teams or um, like, you know what I'm talking about? Missionaries, yeah. missionaries. Mi- yes, That's yes, what. yes. Yeah. So imagine like that. But um, I don't exactly know what they do, but I know that the concept. Yeah. Yeah. So there was this like team that came to our church um, from another church and they were filled with like young people and uh, they kind of just like helped around the church at our church um, on Sundays and whatever, helping the events or something like that. I was probably like 15 at the time. And um, then at one point, they, the group maybe of like six, six people or so, um, they kind of like help out with the youth group for some for a bit of time. And uh, then they decided to do this thing for us um, where they would kind of take us one-on-one, where they would take individual people from the youth group, and they would prophesy over them. So basically the, the idea of that would be they would kind of like hear from God and what God wants to say to this individual and then tell, tell the person and then we record it. Um, and then, so the other person could kind of like take it on. And, uh, I remember sitting into that and I can't remember how many people were there, but it was like four or five people were like kind of all saying like something along the lines of the same thing. But then there was this one person in that group that kind of like went completely off the ball from everyone else. And, uh, and he said this one thing that just stuck with me. Um, I don't remember anything else from that day. There's only this one thing that stuck with me. And he said that uh, one day writers and directors will come to you for advice. And I, I was just like, oh, okay. At the moment, I was just like, oh, okay, cool. And then, but huh. it, it like kind of like planted a seed in my heart kind of thing. That I was like, oh, that's really interesting. I'll just kind of like hold on to that. Why do you think he would he would say that to you? Well, that's the that's the idea of the prophetic word. Uh, that these people were talking about. So the idea is like yeah. they're hearing from God and they're kind of sharing what oh, okay, God's okay. heart is for the person. Oh, okay, okay, okay. But so, so uh, but sorry, in the sense of like, were you a very, were you someone when you were younger, were you someone that opened themselves up to people? Like why, why do you think he would, that? like why do you think God would say that to you specifically? Like, were you someone as, as were you someone that who was very like sort of charismatic and personable and everything when you were younger that somebody would come to you for advice? I was probably an energetic little shit when I was 15 years old. <laughs> I was pretty personable cool. though. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, that's great. I mean, at the end of the day, if I think about that question now, I'd say that, you know, God wanted me to get into film mm. um, to kind of just like... Like it wasn't the opposite. It, was, it wasn't like you were completely solitary and an introvert and it's like why the fuck would why would he say that that is like mm. so opposite of who i am um yeah yeah no it's just uh yeah it was just kind it's of it was weird it was like uh it was like, interesting though it was like off off the like distant thing and i was like okay yeah um i didn't really think much of it like i, did, I wasn't like oh my god this is a crazy like <laughs> word no it's just like yeah. oh, okay cool i'll just like yeah it would just it piqued my curiosity essentially yeah um and then nothing happened for, like, I didn't kind of pursue it or think about it that much or anything like that. And then the other thing uh, that kind of, like, planted the seed that got me to pursue film was, so I think, I don't know if I actually applied for marketing, a marketing diploma at Sheridan College at this time 
or if it was before that, I think it might have been like the summer before like the September start of when I was going to start marketing or was something Was it like right that. after high school? No. So I didn't actually, well, I didn't actually go to high school. Fun fact. I was, um, oh yeah. So that's a little lesson that not many people know about. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So yeah. I started working. Okay. No, I have to back up further than that. Yeah. So what would you, secondary school, whatever up to grade eight is what's before high school. El- elementary school. Elementary school. Yeah. Yeah. So I did that. And then you did that here, like in yeah, uh, Toronto, Toronto okay. area. I don't know where it was. No, it was actually Georgetown. Georgetown. I think that's where I was living at the time. My mom's a kind of like a country girl. Okay. So I think I, when I was super young, I was in Toronto, and then eventually kind of went to the country area because that's my mom likes. My mom likes the country area. Yeah. Um. So I did elementary school, and then it came time for me to go to high school, and I didn't find this out until much later. I'm talking like maybe like twenties. But uh, I didn't go to high school. My mom didn't want me to go to high school. And she told me for two reasons. Uh, one reason being that she didn't want me to deal with the peer pressures of high school, um, which I'm honestly I'm kind of grateful of because I would be a completely different person if I went through high school just, be, just because of the reason that, I mean, I think everyone at, the age, at that age, but especially me, like we're so moldable mm-hmm. at the ages of what, 13? Yeah. So like 18. Um and I definitely would just have been like so molded by just everyone in high school and the peer pressures or whatever it was. So I'm glad. I'm glad my mom made that decision. That was one of the reasons. And I think the other one reason is that I think the the sex ed they were teaching in high school my mom didn't agree with. Okay. Um, so she just didn't want me to be part of that. Yeah. So for those reasons, um, I became homeschooled. Now, it's not what you kind of think as traditional homeschool where you're, you know, your mom's at home or your dad's at home and then they're like teaching you because my mom was a single mom. So she worked and I basically homeschooled myself. That's actually how the program worked. Mm-hmm. So I would get like books of math or English or whatever, something like that. And I'd go through the book and then we'd do the test and we send the test in and stuff like that. And surprisingly, if you know anybody who's homeschooled, uh, they're actually like geniuses because the you have to get a test. Um, to figure out like where you're going to start as a in a homeschool program, and they're much more advanced. I think I think uh, it was something along the lines like I was supposed to start grade nine in regular school. Yeah, but when I did the test based off my knowledge of what I learned in school, I think I was starting in like grade six. So the the homeschool curriculum is actually much more. Um, I don't know if advanced is the right word, but it's like ahead of yeah. what they teach in in regular school. Well, that could also be that could also be a result, a direct result of. Um, uh, your your mind being capable and more open to learning and ingesting more information because it wasn't clouded with you know um, any pressures or any societal pressures from from just being a, like like social pressures at least you know what I mean and um, yeah like I've I've heard that before I've heard that before yeah so so, so yeah. I started that yeah and uh, but being a 16-year-old kid, all I wanted to do was play video games and snowboard all day. Yeah. Um, so I basically just stopped doing work at some point. I think when I was 15 or 16, when I was basically a teenager. Um, and then I started going to uh, work. Um, and then my first job was working at a Kelsey's. I think I started the dishwasher, eventually made it up to, like, the line cook or the head cook, whatever it was. Um, and then I eventually did this thing called, it's in Milton, probably still there. 
called Gary Allen. It's a school. And it's basically that homeschool format that I was just talking about, but it's in an actual school with actual teachers. So you basically put six hours per week per class. And then it's meant for people who are, I guess, mature or who are kind of like outside of the high school environment um, to get their high school diploma. So I did that, I think... Somewhere, I think I got my high school diploma when I was like somewhere between the ages of, I think around 22. Um, and then that's when I went to college. Uh, but before before the period of going to college and then um, I think getting my high school diploma, I did this uh, volunteer work at the church. I don't think I was going to this church. I can't remember. But it was the same church I was talking about where mm-hmm. I got the uh, camera op job. Yeah. And uh, it was much smaller back then. But they had actually no, it wasn't much smaller. But it was they had a smaller media team back then, mm-hmm. and uh, I decided to volunteer there just to kind of explore. I don't know, just I don't know why I volunteered. I just volunteered. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was part of the media team, and I basically worked there one day a week for a few months. And there was this project that we got where there was like this huge event, and they wanted to make a promo for, video for it. It was like a team of us, so like five, small team, and. We were given kind of the uh, the vision from, I guess, the board or the higher-ups or whatever you want to call them mm-hmm. to make this promo video. And then they just kind of let us do it. There's like, make this promo video. I'm talking about like write it, get the music, edit it, film it, sound, all that stuff. Oh, wow. Yeah. This is was, this was my first experience in film whatsoever. Yeah. Um, and then doing that, being a part of that team, I was like, this is the most fun I've ever had in my entire life. <laughs> so... Uh, it was a mix of those two things. And then I think it must have been, I must have already applied for Humber Marketing and I think it was going September because I didn't actually do anything with it mm-hmm. at the time. But there was, I, so I would say those are like the two seeds that kind of really planted the idea of film over the course of my life. Yeah. And then, yeah, I did two years of marketing. I had the opportunity to do three years, like add an extra year of marketing. But by the end of it, uh, I was like, I'm done using the left side of my brain. I want to do something creative. I want to do something different. Yeah. Um, so I applied for, I kind of took those ideas in my mind of pursuing film. Mm-hmm. Um, and I applied to the Humber Film Program, but it's a hard program to get into. I think at the time it was something like a thousand people applying, like 105 get in or something like that. Oh, wow. Um, so I didn't get into the program, but I got offered this like one year media foundation program, which I think a lot of people were offered. Well, yeah. not a lot of people. But I don't know however many people have been in that program. Yeah. Um, but it's just a one-year program where you gonna, you do like a little bit of everything media, like web, yeah. photos, video, all that stuff. And uh, what's funny about that program is when I got accepted into that program, internally I was like, if this is going to be a GPA, like like test to kind of <laughs> see like whoever, whoever's the best this program gets in, like I'm going to win. <laughs> and at the end of that one year, it was me and two others uh, tied for the highest GPA. It was like something like 92 uh, for, for that year. Wow. Um, and then, yeah, I got in and I kind of did my three years. And that's basically how that's that's actually my journey of how I. Got so they do film. that. So they do that to sort of weed out like people like rather than accepting you directly into the film production program. They do that. They do do that to like sort of weed people out um, and sort of like accept more more than they can handle, sort of, right? Yeah, I would consider it as, like, an initiation kind of thing. Ah. Because um, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of people who apply to any program, really, mm-hmm. and they don't really know for sure 
So yeah. it's kind of like instead of spending three years doing this, try this for one year, see if you still like it. Yeah. And then if you do, you know, apply kind of thing. And yeah. then obviously the people who for this film media program, um, the ones who did that media one year thing were yeah. given preferential treatment. Um, Interesting. Going into it. At least I'm assuming so. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And so when you when you finally went into that class environment then, not having been in high school, was that like a trip? For you, like to be in that sort of environment, was there was there anything that was like, you know, holy shit, like to be in a classroom again with people? Like it's a it's a vibe. It's a it's a you know, and sometimes it's a challenge, like to just to be with other personalities and stuff. Of course, it's you know within a program that you know you want to do, and then you actively applied for and stuff. But what was that feeling like of actually now transferring into that? Mm. Well, it wasn't uh, a complete like stretch for me because that. School that I did, Gary Allen, it was a classroom setting. Right. Um, it wasn't like 30 kids. It was something like, you know, you have, like it was an actual school, but maybe yeah. there'd be only like three, four people in my yeah. class at the time. Well, and that's why I asked this because I'm wondering like, it, it, like the class size in general, but also just being in a school with like hundreds of people, you know what I mean? Must have been, uh, you know, must have been eye-opening, I guess, just, to, you know, to be in that environment. Hmm. I don't think it was like a huge, I think honestly, if I were to think about it, I probably, my mindset was probably the same as anyone else going to college. It's just like yeah. a new experience. Yeah. Um, I would, you know, sure there was probably daunting moments, but then there's also exciting moments. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't think it was, had a huge, huge impact going yeah. into that classroom. Like I wasn't kind of, I didn't really feel out of my element. Yeah. Uh, I mean, at the same time, I think part of the reason for that being that when I started college, I was probably 22. So okay. um, I wasn't a, I was old at that point. So I was just a little bit more determined in my decisions at that yeah. point. So yeah. that probably had an impact over that too. Because you were, yeah, because you've had a lot, like, I think that was, I mean, the biggest, like, sort of, uh, um, the biggest sort of, like, eye-opening experience for me going into a university setting was being in classes with people who were older than me. Like I was in a class oh, yeah, with somebody. That's crazy, right? Yeah. I was in a class with somebody who's 30 and he's in his first year. And I was like, holy shit, that's allowed? That's crazy. <laughs> like, no, 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 like harm against that. Like, yeah, sure. They have anybody, anybody that wants to be in it. But I just, I didn't think like, I didn't think that was possible. I didn't know that was possible. And then we actually in our third year had a woman who was in her fifties come in and mm. do third and fourth year because she had gotten credits from, I don't know how they did it, but she, she was trying to get her, do her masters, but, and, and she was so much older and had credits from other neighboring schools. They're like, let's just, we're not gonna put you in the first year. Well, let's just put you in the third year and you could actually just go in and make, start making projects. And then after that, do, do the thing. I don't know what ended up happening to her, but it was so cool to see like, older people in your classes. Um, and so I think for, in your case, it's like, I mean, 22 is not so much older than, I mean, people starting out were like 18, but I like that you talk about that mindset because at 22, having already done, like having already like, you know, gotten a diploma in, in, in marketing, for example, where did you do that actually, by the way? Sheridan, Mississauga. Oh, Sheridan. Um, so having already done that before and already sort of like gone through the initial like formative years of, what do I want to do? Is what I'm doing okay? Having a few faults here and there. Now finally being plugged into it. It's like you're there already with the let's do this. And an 18-year-old's walking in like, oh, wow. 
like, you know what I mean? And there's still that curiosity and wonder, but, but anyway, so, so then now starting it at, at Humber, you, but you're still working in the kitchen, right? Uh, I think when I actually was at Humber, I think at that point I became a bartender, server bartender. I think I started as a server and then became a bartender. Yeah. So how did that like... Even working as a bartender too, like because you're you're talking to people all the time and you have to be very quick on your feet. Like, did that influence any sort of like? Did you bring any of those characteristics into filmmaking? Hmm. Let me think about that for a sec. Yeah, because um, what I find very interesting, and I and I spoke to um, I spoke to an actor once, and they told me they said uh, working in the restaurant game. And being a bartender and doing doing a job that is very people focused and very high strung and high energy actually helped them, like, sort of become not even a better actor, but almost like a better person within the industry and learning how to communicate with people and uh, you know respecting boundaries. Um, you know, not to say that all restaurant workers' boundaries are respected. I think like. You know, but um, but what I mean is is just in this in the sake of communication and communicating with people. Um, so would you would like would you say would you say the same? There would I would say there's there's two specific things coming out of bartending that uh, one positive and then one negative. The negative thing coming out of bartending that was interesting. I actually took me a while to work through. I would say probably like at least six months for me to work through was that. Coming out of bartending, I couldn't have intimate conversations with someone for more than five minutes. Because if you think about bartending, like right. I could I could flirt with you, I could wheel you off your feet for like two minutes, but then after that, like it was it was all gone. just like it wasn't bullshit, but it was kind of like I'm just putting my best self forward. I'm kind of like making you feel like the most welcome. Kind of like if someone comes to your house and you're like greeting them kind of thing. You're just yeah. making them feel so warm and welcome and and comfy and stuff like that. Um, but yeah. it was all superficial. Like, it was basically a script. Now, I also hate scripts as a bartender. I hate that kind of, like, you know that voice that everyone kind of interprets as, like, a as a server bartender? The like, high, hi, what can I get for you? That wasn't me at all. Like, I really <laughs> kind of took my own personality, but at the same time, I took my own personality and made it into a script that worked um, after, after, like, trying it out with, the you know, through experience in something that I was like, okay, hey, this... This works to make people feel comfortable and relaxed um, and friendly. Like, I'm I'm basically, I can make you my friend in two minutes when I was a bartender. Yeah. Um, but the problem coming out of that was, I didn't realize this, but after I saw, started stop bartending, I was like, I don't know how to have conversations with people. Like, I don't actually know how to hold a conversation. I only know how to do, like, two-minute conversations because that's what I've been doing for the past, like, three years. Right. Um, so it took me a while. Like it actually was uncomfortable for me to have conversations for more than five minutes um, or even to dig deeper into the superficial like surface com- uh, conversations. Yeah. Um, so that's something I had to work through. And I feel like at this point I, I worked through it. Um, yeah. The positive thing that came out with this, and this is something that actually directly related to me working in film now, yeah. is one of the things kind of like one of the processes that you go through as a server or as a bartender is listening to someone take their order and then making sure you get it right so that they get their order that they wanted. And 
part of the process for that that we were specifically taught is to like listen, to write down, but then to also repeat back what they said. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, because miscommunication, you never know what, of course. what could happen. And yeah. that's something that I directly use in film now, um, specifically working as like a key grip or as a gaffer. Um, I would say less so within camera, but uh, more specifically a key, key grip or a gaffer because essentially... What I've learned is that efficiency is key when when you're working in cinematography. Um, Mm -hmm. And communication is really key. You need to really kind of know exactly what you're doing. If you don't know what you're doing um, or there's like a miscommunication there, that's where problems happen. Yeah. Um, And I found that I become a lot more efficient in accomplishing what the DP's goals are um, and then also just working efficiently with the crew um, when I know the exact intention that uh, the TP is trying to place. So how does that look like? That's basically if I'm having a conversation with the DP and he's describing something, before I even leave next to the person, I'll basically repeat back what they want to say and then I'll go into very specific. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. This is what this is doing. And I'll do this, this, and this, and this. Um, And then what that results in is a lot less of doing things twice or three times because mm-hmm. um, we've already kind of solidified exactly what we're trying to accomplish before I even leave the conversation. Yeah, And uh, that's something that I've definitely carried forward coming into um, uh, film. And even now expanding as I'm becoming a cinematographer and kind of really growing in that role is that discussion with the... Uh, a director um, and how that has kind of interpreted is really just having an in-depth dialogue into the intention of a scene or an intention of a shot or intention of how something's supposed to edit or yeah. like the vibe of it, something of a scene that's going on. Um, and I, th- I think that really helps for me and a director to really just get on the same wave- wavelength so that when we're actually doing something physically, we're both in line with our, with what we're doing, even though what we're doing is something completely different. Like I'm, you know, lighting and framing and the other person is, and the director is working on, on story and acting and blocking stuff like that. But when you have that kind of in-depth conversation into making sure that both of you are on the same wavelength, everything just becomes really cohesive. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's saying one thing that's really kind of carried forward from uh bartending working restaurant. Yeah. And I think like even, um, just in regards to communication and everything like that is so I, I know it's so like it sounds more simple than it is but it really that really is the backbone of like any sort of creative project or anything that you're doing is like there are so many instances where and I'm sure you have as well where there there wasn't communication on set between the keys and that could and that is evident and um, I don't know if that always comes through in the final product but I think in but I think not enough people trust the process. I was I was speaking at um uh, at an event yesterday, and I was uh, doing this Q and A with these filmmakers, and um, we talked about process, and we talked about not uh, we talked about the fact that not enough people respect the process in making said work, right? And I think that 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 is so integral, and that is so important, and. Um, I, I resonate with what you're saying about communication because I think, 
even going like going into any any project, understanding why you're there, understanding who, what, why, where, how, all the all the W's and the H and whatever. It's understanding why understanding why you're there. Um, and so, in your own work, then do you find like do you can you recall instances where that wasn't communicated or where that wasn't reciprocated? Oh, uh, wait, ask that question one more time. Like, can you can you recall events in your like or or projects or whatever where that communication wasn't reciprocated? Mm. What do you What do you mean by reciprocated? Like it wasn't it wasn't um, uh, like the communication you were giving out to people and like. Um, or, or the communication that like other people were giving to you, let's say, like wasn't reciprocated. It wasn't. It wasn't uh, universal. There wasn't a universal communication uh, throughout all the keys. Hmm. Good question. Let me think for a sec. Yeah. Hmm. I don't feel like I actually run into the issue where communication isn't reciprocated. Um, because I, I feel like it's just a natural response when when you're communicating to get communication back. But saying that, um, I can think of two very specific situations where when you're talking about how communication kind of like breaks down and you don't really have the idea of the process mm-hmm. uh, or where, where a lack of communication leads into a breakdown in process. Yeah. Um, there's one which is kind of universal. This is probably my biggest trigger on set was when – Someone would say, uh, "What are we? What are we waiting on?" I hate that line <sighs> so much because it just shows a lack of process. It just shows a breakdown. It's it, when no one really knows what's going on at that point. It, that's yeah. a complete breakdown of communication. And and where do you find and where do you find that stems from more so? Uh, a lack of a first AD. <laughs> that's probably the biggest one. Yeah. Uh, that's usually the biggest case where. Um, yeah, honestly, I think that was probably the most integral part, the lack of a first AD. Because yeah. in my opinion, a good first AD doesn't react. Um, they pro, pro-reacts? What, what am I thinking of? Uh, they're being proactive. Proactive. Yeah. So they're controlling the flow. And yeah. then if you have a good first AD who's controlling the flow, there's you're not going to have that. You're, yeah. Because there's always they're someone who's yeah. basically controlling the boat <laughs> and making sure the boat, is, everyone knows where they're going. Yeah. Um, that's that's probably the instance where I've I've seen what are we weighing on. But at the same time, um, even with the first AD, you can get that. And I think there's a there's a role even specifically for me that there's something I'm kind of growing on for myself. Uh, like every role, every department needs to communicate. If you even if you have a first AD, no departments are communicating with each other. You're still going to get what are we waiting on? Yeah. Because if I'm lighting something and then I don't communicate, hey, I'm done then no one knows and then that's when you have what are we waiting on or sitting, if a, yeah. like yeah. you know uh if art or something is like doesn't communicate how much time they need to first cd or whatever to someone else yeah sometimes sometimes i feel like i've never um i haven't ad'd but i've uh produced a bunch and everything and and you know sometimes sometimes it is like sometimes i i do go on and i i and i, and I try to get i try to get estimates and i try to see i try to see how the how everything's flowing and i think the biggest thing um the biggest thing that i've gotten is like you go and you ask how much time and the person's just like well i i, I don't i'm like listen just give me a time just give me a number to work with you know just mm. say hey 10 minutes even if it'll be 15 just give me 10 so i know to come back in 10 you know yeah. what I mean? And and I think like that's 
Um, and that's why I talk about, you know, sort of bringing this full circle. I talk about communication and I talk about your communication and how that, and how that sort of envelopes and how that envelopes everything because ultimately that's the medium that we're in, right? That is, that is the medium that we're in. And I think I'm so interested to hear about how, about people's paths and how they got to this medium because some people I meet in film aren't communicators, right? And they're like, they're introverts and they just, they just do the thing and they leave, but they have such a rock star talent and they're able to communicate exactly. But, but ironically, those are the best communicators sometimes on set because like the people who are more intro, because they know exactly what they want and how to get it and how to communicate just enough of what they need that it runs smoothly. Mm. You know what I mean? Have you have you seen them before? Or or people who overly communicate and then you just get lost in their words. What the <laughs> fuck did you just say? You know what I mean? It's it's you know simple to the point and anyway. Yeah, I really like that part of film. I really like kind of the the maze of exploring communication when you're talking to someone. Like it it just feels like I don't know, I like the challenge of that. Just kind of like trying to figure out what someone is saying and yeah. and the intention behind that. I find that really fun. But that's something I'm definitely I think I'll probably always continue to grow on that, but that's something specifically um, I'm putting focus into getting better better for myself, even when you're talking about time. Um, because right now my challenge is, that's actually what I'm trying to do, is be more accurate and be more um, communicative about time within my department. Um, because then if you can give time, then you can help that boat go. I mean, especially with the first AD. Yeah. Uh, if you don't yeah. have time, then the first AD is like, I don't know, friggin', like we'll just try to do this at this time and see if it <laughs> works out magically. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's hard because if you if you're problem solving, you don't know how long you're going to problem solve for uh, until you have a solution. Yeah. Um, so something I'm trying to I'm I'm trying to put more focus on if if I don't know how long something's going to take, I'll be like, can you give me 15 minutes to figure out how long something's going to take. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because I've, I, I've seen this too, uh, not when I'm shooting something, when I'm like, uh, just like a, a, um, a tech, where someone, art, sound, uh, a cinematographer, is they're problem solving, and then the first CD or someone who's like controlling time is like, how long is it going to take? And they don't, you don't know when you're problem solving because you don't know what the problem is yet and you don't know the solution yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one thing I'm trying to do. It's just to get better at communicating time. And um, I think I want to, I feel like, I don't know if it's going to stress me out or not, but I'm debating whether it's to start wearing a watch on set to see how accurate I am um, oh. when I'm giving times just so I can get better at um, communicating time. Now saying that, what I tend to do is I tend to be very conservative um, when I'm giving time estimates because one thing I've learned is when you're being optimistic, it just screws over production all the time. <laughs> so yeah. Like if someone's like, well, it's going to be 15 minutes and it ends up being 30 minutes, you just end up screwing everyone over. Well, you know what? Sometimes I feel like though when I'm when I'm producing, sometimes I feel like I have to go to someone and be a lot more optimistic or someone will come to me and they'll be like, hey, we – so, you know, um, 
we we uh, need another map box. The one we have isn't working. Like you you know where to get that. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, no, for sure, yeah, no, that that happened recently on 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 one of the shorts we were working on. And uh, I was like, yeah, no, of course I know where to get that. They're like, oh great, you think it comes? Yeah, like, yeah, probably, yeah. And they were such in a better like. My response there being like, I have no idea where I could get one. I have no idea if they're open on a Saturday at 4.30. I don't – I have no idea. Just being like, yeah, I'll handle it. And then I turn around and my PC looks at me and she's like, do you really know where to get it? I'm like, no, no idea. I have no <laughs> fucking idea. But I'm going to find out. And I'm going to give him – I'm going to give them an answer in – you know, I'm going to try my best in 10 minutes. Do you know what I mean? And so I think I think like there is a level of optimism that – like you have to test the waters and you have to see now we're getting into the nitty gritty but <laughs> but you have to you have to sort of scope it out you have to you have to you have to um you have to see how much optimism is too much optimism and what could i say that could just conti- continue moving the boat that doesn't rock it a little bit right because i feel like a lot of you know what we do is problem solving and problem solving at like you know you like a light will go down why is this light going down we paid for it. It's supposed to work. It's supposed to work. Because of everything that- Why is this light going down? Why? We paid for this. This is going to go down. It's made from China. What's going on here? <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I, it's like if everything that we got, you know, worked throughout the weekend we were shooting and then nothing got lost at the end of the weekend, the location we have, the toilet did not flood or, you know, I don't know if you remember on that, um, the short we were working on, the landlord came in, didn't even know we were there. Yeah, what was like this? the person on um, on that short that we were working. <laughs> I don't want to give names. It's, it was not a big deal, but I'm saying like, you know, something random comes in where, you know, uh, the superintendent of the place knew we were there. The owner of the, the, obviously the tenant knew we were there, but nobody told the landlord. And so the landlord comes comes down, looks like a bearded Oscar Isaac, walks down the friggin' basement, looks at me, I'm like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> I'm like, well, who are you? And he's like, I'm the landlord. I'm like, I'm the producer. He's like, great. What are you doing here? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I had that once, on a, and we actually got kicked out. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, uh, we were we were close because of bad we, communication. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, see, that's the but but if but what I'm getting at is like if everything that you plan just happened the way it was supposed to happen, filmmaking would be easy because essentially you're just you're you're planning 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 right up until the day. Ideally, the plan is the plan. And it just works, right? But it never happens that way. And so, you know, it's all about problem solving. It's all about like very quick changes and quick turnarounds. I'm not going to know the answer to something right away. And I think, you know, giving people a little bit of optimism to say, hey, you know what? At the end of the day, it's going to be good. I'm going to figure it out. Okay? Bada boom. That's it. Hey, hey bada boom. Hey, bada boom. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I would actually ca- categorize that with some, that's a really amazing attribute that you have, but is just keeping peace on set. Thank you. Um, and I think that's super important. That's actually one thing I've learned. Uh, that's actually one thing I learned working in the restaurant business is that, and I think this kind of, it definitely relates in film, but it can relate to Anywhere where there's a hierarchy in in your workplace. Uh, If you have a stressful environment and your boss or your higher ups are visibly stressed out about whatever situation you're in, that just breaks down the rest of the crew. Because I, I don't know what it is, but it's just like stress just goes out like a waterfall. And, um, 
if and that's that's definitely something I've kind of carried from working in the restaurant is that if I can remain peaceful in a stressful situation, even if it's a shit show, <laughs> like if I can re- if I can remain peaceful, everyone my everyone's mind is just a lot more efficient because yeah. then they're less stressed and they're less overthinking and they're more about okay we I don't know what it is but it's just they can just be more thoughtful yeah and they can work more efficiently when someone in the in their hierarchy is kind of just maintaining peace in a stressful situation mm. um so that's how I would kind of attribute what you're saying is more about okay we're in a stressful situation but if you have that one person who's just kind of like just remains at peace yeah solutions are like much more effective and much totally. more common because you're just you have a clear mind right like i i i've worked with people before who come in like lightning you know and they're arguably very successful and that's their process it's not mine mm-hmm. that's all my first time meeting you it's quite funny and i think you know yeah i think you told me about right that. we were but it, it it's funny to think now because i didn't know you started freelancing in 2018 and that was in 2018 but the way that you had come across when we were working together was very professional, very charismatic. I was like, this guy's been working for years, for sure, you know? And I think it's all about how you present yourself. But the but it was so funny that we were in this chat time and you were just laying on the couch. Oh, no, it was a second cup. No, maybe it's a chat time. I know yeah. where it was. It was in Vaughn. It was somewhere it was in by the, that Cineplex, whatever Plaza. that, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I remember because I was coming to meet you guys. We had met there because I was working that day, I believe. And so I had come from work or maybe I was going to work after the meeting, whatever it was. We we met in that cafe. It was either – I might have been at chat time. And, we, and you were laying down on this couch, passed out, and Alexia was uh, – the director of this film – was uh, introducing everyone. It's like, oh, that's Joel. And I look over and I see this guy sitting there. Lying there. I'm like, hey, Joel. Hey, just put up your hand. <laughs> just like. <laughs> Not my finest moment. <laughs> just, say, just say hello. And I'm like, oh, my God. What is what is this? And I just sit down and, and, and the whole time you were sleeping. And you were still responding, though. But your eyes were closed and your hat was over your eyes. And you were still, like, responding to people's questions and everything. And then you get on set and you just, like, tapped in. And it was incredible. And here we are. But I think it's such a funny, like, first impression because uh, – and I think first impressions in film are are hilarious because you have no idea who's behind those hands. You have no idea, right? And they could completely surprise you or, you know, blow it out of the water. I don't know. <laughs> I think you told me that you mentioned to Alexia after. He's like, I don't think this guy is the right guy. And then she defended me, thankfully. <laughs> I don't even know what state I was in. I don't know. Maybe I was tired or maybe, I don't know, something's going on. But uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but that also is part of my personality. I'm just genuinely a very well, relaxed individual. I was going to say, I was going to say, I think it's also, I think it's also just people in general that I meet in film that I work with. A lot of people are very like, you know, I'm, you can't see me, but I'm, I like, you know, they're very like, you know, high, not high strung, but like, always consistently focused, consistently prepared, wearing this like this cloak of I'm focused, I'm here, I'm present, I'm always available, like capacities unlimited, you know what I mean? And then you see someone that's just like like you were just like lying on the couch, like, yeah, I'm fucking tired. And it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, that's one way to show up to a meeting and that's never, you know what I mean? And that's what I appreciate about you because I feel like 
I can work with you and I don't, I don't have to feel like I'm pulling my hair out sometimes. Do you know what I mean? And, and that's not to say I, several people I work with are such incredible, incredible people, right? But I feel like there is this, there is this idea that if you work in film, you constantly have to be present and awake and you're not taking breaks, you know, oh, and dude. you're, you're completely like, you're working around the clock. And so when I come across somebody who is just like, you know, hey, I'm, or I ran into a friend at a party. I'm like, what are you working on? She's like, absolutely nothing. I'm just taking time off. I'm like, that's incredible. You know what I mean? I kind of hate that question. What are you working on? What are you working on now? What are you working on now? It's like, what? Are, who am I now? It's the equivalent in the film industry of how's the weather? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's also it's also kind of intimidating. But um, how's the weather? Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's uh oh, I had a train of thought. I was gonna say. Um, oh yeah, that's a huge thing now. That's that's been a big part of my growing phase so far in this industry. Yeah, I've been burnt out multiple times. In 2019, I worked on seven features in a row. Never do that. <laughs> back, that would, sorry, hold on. You seven like back to back. I'm pretty sure I worked from April to Christmas Eve, and uh, by oh the I God. think after the fourth feature, I was burnt out. Um, and then I saw what myself looks like burnt out, um, which was just unhealthy. But yeah. that's a even backing up. When I was in last year of film school, I th- our major project was we have to film a production uh, outside of school grounds, get our own location, stuff like that. And we go to this movie theater and we're scouting. And then I think as we were leaving, uh, this other film production comes in. I think we're sure the reunion production. Um, the only reason why I say this is because of this interaction I had and there was this older white guy, kind of disgruntled guy. And he comes up to us, comes up to me and like two others. And he's like, are you guys in film? And I'm like, yeah, we're in film. We're optimistic. He's like, don't go in the film. You'll never see your family. Oh you'll you'll hate your life. And he's like, he's like basically like throwing down all the negatives into yeah. why it shouldn't be a film. Yeah. And then I didn't say this, but in my inside, I was like, I'm already in third year. Like it's too late to like <laughs> to get me out of this. Like I'm already here. I can't. Yeah. I've already committed. It's too late. <laughs> um, yeah. But I mean, that's a testament to the. I don't know why. What it is. I don't know what kind of influenced this. But it's just like kind of the cultural norm for everyone to give their life to film. Um, to put. Film first above family, above themselves, above their uh, like their own basic needs. Yeah, and that's a huge problem. But it's cool that we're starting to see um, little pop ups here and there that are really addressing those issues. Um, like there was just one uh, for uh, the union. I don't know somewhere down south or the west or something like that. And I think it was like agreement was coming over, uh, coming or contract was almost over, and they were negotiating. And that was one of the things they were negotiating was. You know, we need better turnarounds. Yeah. Because one, I wouldn't say common, but one uh, not so uncommon theme in the film industry, which I've been a part of, is if you're working on a feature and you, you typically work five days a week, but on the Friday, you'll just, they call it a fratter day because you need to kind of hmm. catch up. So you'll basically work in, until, well, I don't know, like, 16 hours that day and yeah. you'll work until like 5 a.m. on there, Saturday. There are, no, there are no days off in, in when you're on a show. It's it's impossible because 
yeah, you know, you're totally right because you're working Monday to Friday. Even that same Friday, you would have worked 16 hours. You're spending the Saturday to rest. And then Sunday, don't you prep for Monday? You don't, like, you don't have time off. It's like, yeah, it's uh, especially if you're doing something like that. It's, you know, you get home at 6, 6 a.m. on Saturday. Yeah. I don't know how you're going to sleep, but you need to sleep at least nine hours in that day. And then you're basically just recuperating until Monday morning. It's just kind of ridiculous. Um, but even just this three, I don't know how long it's been, 19, 20, 20. Yeah, these three years I've been in the film industry, I've already kind of come to the realization. It was like, I can't, multiple times, I'm like, I can't keep going like this. Yeah. Like, I'm, I've already burnt out. If I, if I, if I keep going like this, I'm going to prematurely die of something. Yeah. Um, and to say that, like, only three years in t- t- is really a testament to say that, hey, there is a problem that really um, needs to be addressed. And I'm glad we're starting to do that. Yeah. Um, I was, me and my friend uh, Arson just did a film, and this was kind of in the height of where there was a lot of kind of news coverage about, you know, film industry techs and people who are working in the film industry are just overworked. For those who don't know, it the common practice is a 13-hour day which is probably unheard of for a lot of people. Now, we're not, like, aggressively working 13-hour days. Um, sorry, 13 hours of those days. Um, but it's just a lot of time where you have to be, like, work-focused. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, so me and my friend uh, did our second film together where we kind of put our own money and wrote it, or shot it, all that stuff. Uh, but I was really adamant on making it a... A 10 plus one day. So what is a 10 plus one? It's basically you're working for 10 hours, you have an hour lunch, and then you're done. It's an 11-hour day. Mm-hmm. Sure, it's it's like not what we, are, you know, the rest of the workforce does, which is a nine-hour day. But I was like, this is a good start because I know if we need to make um, film a more sustainable industry for individuals, it's going to take time and money. Mm-hmm. That means someone has to give more time and someone has to give more money. Yeah. And I can tell you, rich people don't want to give more money. That's just kind of a thing. <laughs> and uh, yeah. and they also don't want to give up time because time is like a valuable resource. Like t- they say time is money. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really kind of wanted to challenge that. So uh, I was really adamant on doing a 10 plus one for our short film, which is the one day film. And uh, we actually did it. I mean, a big part of it was we this is kind of more of a personal relationship between me and this director, but we are very um, cognizant of pre-production. You know how they say, it's like you want to make a film on paper before you make a film. Uh, We're very much like that. Like we would storyboard completely. The first film we did, we had animatics. Like we, we do so much problem solving before we get on set. Yeah. So by the time we get on set, um, there's a lot less problems. And if there is problems, we already have a solution because we've already put so much detail into the pre-production process. Yeah. Um, so it kind of like reduces the amount of avenues of direction where we can go. Um, so there's less, less thought process going into problem solving because more, it's more directional to where we need to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so a big part of that was going into pre-production being very detailed. Um, and part of that being like, I limited how many pages we could do uh, that day. I limited how many shots we could do. Because being in this industry, I have a little bit more experience into understanding what is achievable within a certain amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it all it all just came down to having a good crew, and and it actually is achievable if you put in the time and you put in the you know the money for. I think it's really achievable for us to make a more sustainable um, industry for everyone, and I don't think. 
I think it's going to be a while if anyone, if anyone even realizes this, but if you really take care of the people who are making your medium, you're going to come out with a better product. If your techs, if the rest of your crew, your actors, if they feel cared for, if they feel nourished, um, because then they're just going to care more. If they're burnt out, they don't give a shit about your project anymore because <laughs> they're just kind of like, I can tell you most most techs in the industry, they're just doing it for the paycheck. Yeah. Um, unless you have like a integral part of the production where you're like yourself is part of this production, like a, a editor, a writer, a DP or a production designer, you know, then there's heart put into it. But a lot of people, they just do it for the paycheck, which is normal. It's a, I mean, the film industry is work in itself. Yeah. Um, but I think if we start transitioning into really putting more focus into taking care of individuals and making a sustainable uh, industry, I think we're going to have better projects and yeah. we're going to have better content that's coming out of there. Yeah, and people are going to be happier. Absolutely, and uh, and I'm glad that we're you know we're learning that now. I guess uh, you and I's concerns so early earlier in our careers because yeah, I've worked on projects with like people in their mid 40s that are just like that have just given up. It's like, oh yeah, I'm you know twice divorced with uh, two kids that I haven't seen in in three years. It's like, oh my god, like, I, and and don't get me wrong, like I have no idea what their journey has been. I do, I have no idea where. Like, I I am privileged to come to the understanding that a work life balance is an ideal to achieve, and um, to learn that as early as you can is 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 optimal. Um, how are you making this year your year? What do you mean by that? How are you? So, well, the year's almost over. We're recording this, but, um, how are you like, how are you making this year your year? Is there, is like, how are you taking hold of whatever, like goals or anything that goals or anything that you set aside for yourself? How are you making those? How are you making active what is your active goal for the year? How are you, how are you how are you taking a hold of the year and and making it your own? Hmm, good question. Uh, there's a couple things that have kind of I pursued that I could share about. Like one of the things we were briefly just talking about was is getting burnt out and learning how to have a good work life balance. Um, I've been like God has like super blessed me financially, um, but it's for me it's one thing I've kind of been doing is. <laughs> it sounds easy, but surprisingly difficult is just learning to say no. Um, and learning the value of no. I've kind of, I've learned for myself that your no's make your yeses more valuable. Um, because you start to communicate a standard of what you stand for. Um, and I, I think a lot of people, this is not even just film related, but I think in general, people don't realize that you know just how mu- how much respect people, anyone around us will have if we start standing up for our own standards. Um, they may make fun of us, like you hear this in high school, you know, make make fun of us, tease us, or whatever it is. Like that's just that's going to happen. But deep down, people respect others with standards because it's a positive, healthy thing to stand for uh so for me in film it's learning that hey i've been burnt down burnt out multiple times and i really need to address this otherwise 
I'm gonna die prematurely of something. Nobody else. Right? Nobody right? else is gonna do that for you. No one's. Yeah. yeah. And uh, man, the amount of times I've started saying I've said no to projects um, this year, just because it wasn't in line with what I want to kind of really do, and just really taking care of myself. Like one thing, I kind of got eased into this. I'm doing. It's funny to say this because I'm doing an overnight literally today, but. Um, <laughs> I've really avoided overnights, um, mm. shooting anything overnights. Uh, I turned down one beginning of November. It was like five days of overnight because I've just seen like, man, how much it degrades me. <laughs> not <laughs> like, not, not like uh, mentally, but just like physically doing overnights, like for your body when your normal is life is like during the daytime. It's hard. I hate it too. It just like straight up destroys yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And it, it, it's like going, um, uh, what's it called when you travel somewhere and and uh, you like uh, it's like a different time zone? You get that thing. What's it called? Jet lag. Jet lag. It's like being jet lagged at work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all the time. Yeah, and then for like the next week after. Um, so that's one thing I've really avoided uh, and had to say more no's to is like overnights. Um, but just learning to say no. Um, but it also kind of ties into the second goal, which is this year I've. I realized that I'm going to say it. I don't know how this is going to come out, but I started to get bored doing what I'm doing. Uh, typically, I'm a gaffer and I love lighting. Um, sometimes key grip, sometimes camera, and I love the change of pace of both. Mm-hmm. But I've realized that, uh, for lack of better words, I know I'm so much more capable of doing more. Um, and the times that I've been able to shoot my own content, I realize how much I love it. And the reason, I think the main reason why I love it, I think, I don't know what you say, like the hierarchy, triangle hierarchy of like self-worth, whatever it's called. There's like, you know, food at the bottom or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, where was I going with that? I can't remember where I was going with that. Um, wait, what was I just saying? So DP, oh, yeah. It's the, I, I realized that I need to be mentally stimulated on set. And I've been doing lighting work for long enough in the in the indie industry within the GTA that it's just become <clears throat> uh the same thing in a different package. Now there are moments where I'm like, oh that's really cool. And I think that's I still even carry that when I'm watching films. I'm like, I really like how they did this lighting and even yesterday I was watching like a DP work. I was like, this looks really cool. And I kind of like decipher like how what they did, the problem solving and how they achieved what they, you know, accomplished. And I'll kind of like take note of that. But um, generally I find within the lighting industry, what I'm doing when I'm lighting is that it's not really a challenge for for me anymore. Like I generally get it. I know how to do things. And it's not really like mentally problem solving for me. Yeah. But what I've learned when I shoot content is that it's so much more challenging. Um, and that's just because it's so much more involved. Um like you have to, as me, if I'm a cinematographer, I have to think about the director's vision, accomplishing their vision, understanding what's going on inside their brain. But yeah. then I also got to think about, hey, is what I'm doing going to edit well uh, together? Got to think about continuity. Yeah. I got to think about my how I'm working with time, um, mm-hmm. being time efficient, uh, communication with the rest of my crew, um, you know, camera and lighting to make sure I'm communicating what I want to do and just being that kind of at the top, yeah. And managing people. Yeah. Um, and then like working with money and stuff like that and working with people. 
And I love that. I love that. It takes a village. It does. Um, Honestly, yeah. And uh, and I would say managing managing people is certainly like. It's certainly exhausting. Like for me personally, I listen to like on the road to set and back. Like I, uh, I listen to music that is like no lyrics sometimes because mm. I just need quiet. I just need peace, yeah. you know? And, and I know going into set, it's like sometimes like I would get called when I was doing dailies, like daily PA or when I first started, like daily grip, like I was gripping and stuff. Like, could you imagine me gripping? And so <laughs> I would like get a call the night before and I would sometimes have to say no because I have to like mentally prepare to be on set the next day. Mm. If I wasn't mentally prepared to go and interact with dozens of people and oh, and, and yeah, everything, 100%. like I just, I can't. Um, well, listen, man, this was a great conversation. This was, I think we we tackled so many different mm-hmm. like topics and everything. And I really do truly appreciate uh, you coming out and, and making the time. I think we 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 did the thing. I was your. We did a podcast. We did a podcast, and we did uh, your first podcast. That's which true. Is, which is great. Yeah. Anybody else, uh, you know, asks you now, you know, what to expect. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I, I think all the first my sense was saying earlier is, but realizing the challenge of shooting stuff. Yeah, that's what I'm pursuing more, and and learning to say no into certain projects like Gaffer and stuff like that, so I can actually take on more product shooting stuff is the other thing that I'm pursuing more. And, uh, and yeah, year. and I think it's like, oh, and that's great. And I think creating those healthy boundaries is just like, is ideal and is not something that everybody mm-hmm. really puts strength and time into. Um, boundaries. boundaries. That's it. Boundaries. <laughs> Draw it's the worth line. it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, man. Cool. Thanks for coming on. We did the thing. And for those who don't know, he's paying me a hefty salary to be on this podcast. So whoever wants to be on this podcast, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Be prepared to have your wallets filled with cash. (laughs) This is where you can log off and uh, stop listening. Thank you.